Uh, so uh, I, I'm, I want to tell a big story in relation to this, that Teresa is talking about the, um, how, how difficult it is now to collaborate and to innovate in today's university. So I'm going to tell a big story. That the way that higher education began in the United States was in part of what is what what historians now call the age of the college. That the first the first college in the United States was Harvard, which was founded in 1636, and for over 200 years, the only institutions of higher education in the United States were colleges. They tended to be small. And they focused on preparing students for service. Uh, Harvard was originally founded to prepare students to enter the, the clergy, but not it wasn't didn't take very long for the mission to secularize. And the idea was that you were preparing students to become productive citizens in the enterprises of their choice. So you could say that the goal of colleges was to prepare students, to produce students, educated students, who could go out and contribute to society. After the Civil War, and um, as the United States industrialized, universities came to the United States, research universities, and the, uh, the people who were founding them had in mind, among other things, the model that was being propagated in Germany where some American academics had gone to study for periods of time. The American research universities were not copies of German research universities. Instead, they were inflected by the, by the American surrounding. But, and universities were founded as either, either out of whole cloth by philanthropists, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, so, um, the uh, John D. Rockefeller provided most of the money to start the University of Chicago, uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt to start Vanderbilt, and so forth. The, or they could be uh, grafted onto existing colleges. So Harvard College becomes Harvard University and Yale College, Yale University. Or they could be founded by states. So the, uh, you had public universities, which were coming into being. Uh, state legislatures were grant were um, subventing money and also providing the land. So all of these universities, though, that when they when they were coming into being, they were being uh, informed by the research model that prevailed in Europe. And the the mission statements of early American universities were guided by not the preparation of students necessarily so much as the creation of new knowledge that this is what research is it's discovery and so the uh, uh the idea was and this is made explicit in the in the founding documents of many uh, many american universities during this period of um generally about 18 1880 or 90 to, to 1910 or so there were um dozens of universities that were being founded in the United States during that time. The idea was that the pursuit of knowledge or research would be primary and teaching the teaching of students secondary. That's almost an exact quotation from the founding documents of the University of Chicago. So uh, this could vary to a greater or lesser extent. The, the um, legislation that created public universities like the University of Iowa does mention 
instruction of students. But these universities were coming into being as research universities. And there was a tension, a tension that persists between the mission of the college to prepare educated students to enter society and the mission of the university, which is to create new knowledge and have teaching be almost a byproduct of that. That tension has animated higher education since the age of the university, and it has uh, been mostly a productive tension, partly because there were ample resources for both sides. And both kinds of institutions have, have persisted through the history of American higher education. However, in recent years, as, resource, as the resource base has, has grown smaller, the friction that can exist between these two missions has become more and more clear. And it leads, I think, to some of the, of the, of the practical problems that Teresa began by describing a few minutes ago. And it, it's not that American higher education should discard the research mission and embrace teaching, nor vice versa. Rather, I think that we all benefit if we uncover the assumptions that were that are buried in history that underlie and inform the way that our structures are, the, the way that they the way that they look, the way that they are, the way that they've existed. If we uncover those assumptions and we examine them and we and we we update them in the ways that we can and we should, some of them we may want to leave where they are because higher education, the university is one of the, is and ought to be one of the most conservative institutions in American life. And I say conservative with a small c. Shouldn't be blown about by fads. I don't mean political conservatism, right-wing conservatism, but rather the belief in the persistence of, uh, and the, um, of something that's, that's, that's worthwhile. Higher education is one of the few institutions in American life that has roots in the Middle Ages. And so we don't need to blow it up, but we should be looking at the ways in which it has evolved and the ways in which it should evolve in order to meet the needs of a needful time now. This is PhD Futures Now, a podcast on collaboration, career diversity, and graduate education in the humanities. This podcast is a project of Humanities Without Walls, a 16-university consortium headquartered at the Humanities Research Institute at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and funded by grants from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.